0: Beginning our study through the book of Exodus, which is the story of how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. These selected verses that I'm going to read from Exodus chapters 1 and 2 show us Israel's descent from prosperity into oppression. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us, and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for, they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel." So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all of their work, they, were, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much um, for today. I thank you for this place I thank you that you've gathered us here tonight, um, that you've given us your word. I thank you that it is good and it is true and that it doesn't fail us. I thank you for your promises, Lord Jesus, and that you have um, given them to us um, through your son, Jesus. I pray for Chris tonight as he speaks. I pray that you would give him um, peace, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear and that our hearts would be receptive. And Father, I just pray for each and every person here um, You'd bless them tonight. Please remind us of your love when we forget it. I thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your kindness. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.
1: So I I just wanted before we, we start, just to acknowledge and just let us grieve that our that our worst fears today were realized. What we thought was a break for one direction. Um, is going to turn out to be the end of One Direction. Um, is it not true? It's not true. What do you mean it's not true? It was, true. It was reported on CBS News.
0: Yeah, but then I read one and it said, no giving that was a lie. So,
1: well, uh, well, I'll say this um, whether they're broken up or not, uh, I'm still sad that the lads aren't more a part of my life. Um, that they're not making music together right now. Um, I kind of forget sometimes that, that, like, the super fans of One Direction would have been you, um, because you were, like, you know, in middle school. That's sweet. Um, but One Direction were right about something. They're right about many things. They've spoken to my soul many times. Um, uh, you do have a story of your life, okay? um... All of us tonight in this room, that was so lame and forced. Um, (laughs) Everybody that comes into this room tonight, you have a story that you live in. It's the thing that determines the decisions you make. There are good guys, there's bad guys, there's dreams, there's hopes. And really your story, like your personal narrative of your life is what determines where you're going to go. And I know a lot of you guys are worried about, like, what's your life going to look like? Like, I don't want to be the same person I am now, or I want to achieve things. And I'm here to tell you that if you want your life to change, then the story that you love, the story that, like, captures your heart, has to be the thing that changes, okay? Um, I love The Onion and, uh, you know, the fake news site, which is apparently where I discovered this news about One Direction today. Thank you for uh, correcting me, Megan. Uh, But I was reading on on The Onion, there was an article called... uh, Man wearing Chewbacca costume, unsure whether to see Star Wars or the Big Short. Um, Uh, The quote that I loved was, this is a guy wearing a Chewbacca costume. He said, it would be really interesting to know the history of the housing market collapse, but then again, I've been camping out for eight days to see the Force Awakens. Of course, the guy wearing the Chewbacca costume is going to see Star Wars, right? Because there's something about the story of Star Wars that has captivated him so much that he is literally living out one of the characters. And I would say, you know, like, maybe you don't dress up. Maybe you do. Um, We can talk about that. Um, But that you are living out a story, okay, Um, that has captured your heart. And the book of Exodus that we're going to be studying this semester was the story that God wanted to capture the hearts of his people. That he, that he really wanted them to identify themselves as a people, as the people that God brought out of the land of Egypt. He said, when you think about who you are and where you're going and your history and what defines you, I want you to remember how you were slaves in Egypt and I literally rescued you from oppression and I brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And I believe that this story of God in Jesus rescuing us from slavery is still the story that can transform your life and can transform my life. Um, And what I'm praying is that this semester, as we read this story of God's rescue, that we will see our place in it, that we will understand that God wants to invite us into his story and to give us a place and a purpose because he has plans for us, um, that he wants to set us free to love him and to love one another. So we all come tonight with a different story. So my, my, my first question for you is, how did you get here tonight? Like, what brought you here? Like, maybe this is your second semester, and you are bound and determined that this semester is not going to look like last semester. Uh, very few people at the end of their first semester go, you know, that was exactly what I hoped it was going to be. I made the grades I wanted to, I got the sleep I wanted to. I just had this friend group that's like gonna be my friend group forever, and I didn't make any mistakes with with guys and girls. I mean, it was great. Um, Maybe this is the second semester of your senior year, and you're freaking out because you have no idea what's about to happen to you because adulthood waits just around the corner. Um, Maybe you're a transfer and you're like, I'm not a freshman, but I really have no idea what's going on, and there's no one here to help me. Maybe you're from Charlotte, maybe you're from the Triangle, maybe you're from the Triad, you're from Wilmington, you're from Asheville, you're one of those strange people that comes here from out of state. I just met someone from Greenville, welcome. That's basically North Carolina. Um, You know, are you Greek? Are you not? Are you an athlete? Are you not? Are you black? Are you brown? Are you white? are your parents together. Or your parents have never been together. Did you grow up in a religious household? The point is, your story has a beginning. You have a backstory. And that backstory determines much of who you are as a person, determines your story. Um, William Faulkner, who was a great Southern writer, famously said the past isn't dead, it isn't even past. Uh, your past is still current in your life. And the people of Israel had a backstory to you. The passage here, this is how Moses starts this. Moses wrote this book um, as, his, as the people of Israel were about to go into the promised land to remind them what God had done. And the first thing he does is he tells their, their, their back story. And look, there was a random, this, if you want to know like the story of how like, God's people really started happening, there was literally a random guy in the middle of the desert named Abram, who would later be called Abraham, who like, literally worshipped the moon. Like, his parents worshipped the moon, his grandparents worshipped the moon, and he had no interest in God whatsoever or concern for God. And God literally just showed up to him and said, Hey, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which I still don't understand why. "Um, But I'm going to give you descendants and, like, make your descendants so numerous that you could never even possibly count them. They'll be like the sand on the seashore. And Abram's like, I'm really old and don't have any kids. Okay, He's like 80, 90 years old. God gives him a son. His name's Isaac. God gives him a son. His name is Jacob. He also changes his name to Israel for whatever reason. And and Jacob has 12 sons. Okay, and this is the point. Jacob's 12 sons and their families come to Egypt because there's a famine. Uh, Because they were literally going to starve to death if they don't come to Egypt who had food. Um, They come to this place. They're fruitful. They multiply there. They do what God asked them to do. But they're strangers there. Like this isn't their home. They're very feel, feel very welcome there, and they prosper there for a long time. But they're strangers in a strange land. They had a backstory, and here's here's what I want to tell you tonight. Because I kind of want to tell you about Ruf. Because it's the first one. No matter where you come from, no matter what your backstory is, um, Jesus has a place for you in His story, and there is a place for you in Ruf. I know you might feel like you look around and the people around you probably don't have the same kind of background as you. They don't have the same story as you. But I want to tell you and promise you that you have a place here, no matter what your backstory is. And more than that, you're not here by chance. You're not at Appalachian by chance. You're not here in this room, this exceedingly hot room by chance. God brought you here just like he brought his people to Egypt. He has planned every detail of your arrival, so take comfort in that. So, the first question is how did you get here? Well, you have a backstory. This is my second question to you, and this is where things start to get a little bit more interesting, is what has gone wrong in your story? Every story has conflict, every story has drama to it, um, and so does your story. Um, things don't usually go best according to your best laid plans, as you're probably starting to figure out in college. Um, you've experienced disappointment. Maybe your parents are getting divorced. Or they've recently gotten divorced. Or you found out something about your mom or your dad that this really has shaken your life. Maybe you've been through a breakup or two or more. Um, It happens. Uh, You changed your majors. You transferred here from whatever place you used to go to that wasn't as great as this place. And now you're here. But regardless of what it is, our lives take twists and turns. And things get heavy for us. Like, life starts to get a little bit heavier. I've known some of you guys long enough to have walked with you through some of those twists and turns, and that is an honor for me. Um, But maybe this is what made you come to RUF tonight. Because you're going through something that's really hard. Maybe it's the thing that you're like, I'm probably not going to come back to RUF because of this thing. (laughs) Um, Also, because it's really hot in the room. Um, A few hundred years have gone by for the people of Egypt. I mean, for the people of Israel in Egypt. And they felt at home there, but eventually things changed. If you, as you saw, on, if you look on your handout, um, a new pharaoh comes, a new king comes over Egypt. He doesn't know Joseph. Joseph was like the man. He was an Israelite, but everyone loved him. Um, and this guy is afraid. Because these foreigners, this probably sounds a little bit familiar. Um, these foreigners have come. And If we don't do something, they're going to outnumber us. And if a war breaks out, they might turn against us. And so, as we often do in our worst moments, he resorts to fear and violence and oppression. He says, I'm going to enslave these people. I'm going to inflict them with burdens that are hard to bear. And it will crush their spirit. Like, literally, he wanted to just, like, crush them as a people and marginalize them and make them, like, just not, like, literally not want to reproduce uh, if you go to some of the some of the most oppressed places in our country, um, places that are densely populated by people of color, people that are that is densely populated um, by generational poverty, you will find a hopelessness. And that's what Pharaoh wanted for these people. Uh, he wanted to give them uh, hopelessness. But when that doesn't work, he literally starts quietly killing, like wants to kill the male children. Um, he says, hey, midwives, when a, when a Hebrew baby is born and it's a boy, just go ahead and kill it. Um, this is disgusting uh, and that doesn't work either because the midwives are like yeah I'm not going to do that I'm here to deliver babies not to kill them um, and so finally he says look if a male child is born to the Hebrews I'm gonna th- we're, we're just going to throw them into the Nile we're going to drown them uh, the Nile River was the source of life for Egypt they worshipped it as the life source and they, this Pharaoh is using it for genocide for death just like that over this course of a couple hundred years, they go from privileged, happy, to oppressed, enslaved, victims of mass genocide. And they're no longer at home in this place. And again, I'll say it again. Some of y'all feel that way tonight. You feel like things have happened and you just don't belong here. You don't have a home here because of what's going on, what you've done, or what has been done to you. And I want to tell you, Um, that you have a place here. And RUF, look, we believe that Jesus invites people to know him no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, that he moves towards us and comes into our story and wants to welcome us. And you have a place here in this group to figure that out with us, no matter what is going on with you. To uh, to edit, Kendrick, whom I love, I had to edit because someone would tell their parents I use the F word there are some parents in the room um, you know I'm messed up you're messed up but if God's got us then we're going to be alright uh, we have like literally firmly believe that here like you are a mess like you don't even know you don't even know me yet you don't even know my crap. My but if God's got us then we're going to be alright and that's part of the beauty of what we do in, in community groups here so if you're not in one I look you guys are in clubs. You're in class. You're in a sorority or fraternity or whatever. Like, how many of those places can you go to and be like, I'm really going to like unload like my baggage and feel like I'm safe to do that? And these people are going to support me and pray for me. Like, where do you have to go where you can be real? You can't be real with your parents usually. You can't be real with your friends because then they might not like you anymore. You can't be real with your boyfriend. He'll think you're needy and you're just like emotionally a person. That has needs. That's not being needy. FYI. Um, anyway, I don't know how we got on that. Sign up for a community group. They're great. Um, <laughs> do you have a place to be real? I hope that Ruf can be that place for you. Um, and just quickly, I want to say this. This is like a point of personal privilege. Some people here like Ruf is their number one thing, and I'm cool with that. I think that's great. Like Ruf can be your number one thing. Like this is my number one commitment outside of school. Let's go for that. That's great. Some of you guys are working in the women's center, the LGBT center, multicultural student development center. You work for ACT. You're in the frat or sorority. You're in a different club. You're like belong to your major. Um, and those are always gonna, like some of you guys lead like lead a group for young life, and like you come here, and I love that. And I want you to know that even if RUF is not your number one priority, you still belong here, and like you're still seen, and like you're still known, and you're still part of this, and we need you to be here. You're, you're valued and recognized, even if REF's not your number one thing. I know that doesn't always seem to be the case. Okay. what's Where you come from, what's gone wrong in your story, let's walk through that stuff together. Um, because, look, and this is where the rubber hits the road. If we're honest, when life takes a turn, it feels like, a lot of times, like God isn't there. And some of you guys grew up in like the church. Um, Jesus' beautiful bride that he's perfecting. And, but one of the downsides to that is you come now to college and you go, I'm going to get involved in REO because that's the thing to do, but I just don't feel comfortable at all to express it to people like, I'm not really sure I even believe this stuff, but it's just the thing that I've always done. So I'm just going to keep doing that. Um, so maybe that's you, um, or maybe you felt closer to God and then now you don't, you feel like he's distant. Maybe you've never been tight with God. Maybe that's never been your thing. Um, but regardless, a lot of times we wonder, is God there? Literally hundreds of years have gone by for Israel, and God has apparently said nothing to them about their slavery, their oppression, like the murder of their children. He's been seemingly quiet. Um, And it takes all the way to the end of Exodus chapter 2 to know what God thinks about this. And this is where I want us to look at this together, so if you have your hand out. Look at at verse uh, 23 and 24 at the bottom. they, They cried out. Israel groaned. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And listen, listen, listen. If you listen to nothing else tonight. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant. That's his promises. With Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Whatever you're going through and you feel like God isn't there, let me tell you tonight that in that the the Lord Jesus Christ He sees what's going on. He hears your cry. He remembers promises that He's made. And He knows. And when, when Moses uses this word knows, it's not like this, like he knows something. Like He knows in an intimate way. Like the Bible says, someone knew, like a husband knows their wife. Like it's an intimate. Like commitment that God knows um, God was intimately involved with his people throughout their oppression now look I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story um, I did not grow up like some of you guys did in the Christian thing um, my dad wasn't around I lived with my mom a single wide trailer and it was me and her and she worked a lot And some of you guys know what it's like for your parents to be working and you're just like alone a lot like that kind of sucks but um, but, you know, part of, part of what happened to me in that, in that circumstance was that I was very angry at just, like, religion in general. Because, like, stuff had happened to me, like, I didn't, like, deserve that. I didn't choose that. Um, and I was actually very angry toward just like, the, even the idea of Jesus or Christianity um, for a long time. <clears throat> and I and I, when I was in college, I came to faith in Jesus through RUF. Um, but it's only recently that I'm starting to look back on those first 20 years and I used to think like when I was 20 that's when God became part of my life and I'm starting to realize now that like that all that time that I hated God and I was angry and I was resentful and I was hurt that God was near to me as he has ever been he was nearer to me than my own soul and he heard my cries he saw what I was going through, he remembered, and he knew, and he intended to act. All of our stories need resolution. We're all hoping for a happy ending. If you're watching The Walking Dead, five seasons of The Walking Dead have happened, and it's kind of like, how many more places can you go to, and it seems safe, and then like things happen, you know, it's like, the zombie apocalypse is boring, Um But we keep watching it because we're like, it's like I'm on episode five of Making a Murderer. And I'm like, I just need to know, man, like, can something good, like, happen out of this? Like, on The Walking Dead, there's a baby. Like, Jude, there's a baby, man. They can't just, like, all die. Um, We all want a happy ending. And wherever you are tonight, whatever you're in the middle of, I just want you to know that God hears your cry. That God is intimately aware. Nothing that you have done, nothing that's happened to you, has escaped his notice and his care. Even if you feel very far away from him. And and as as we close this down, look. In RUF, and the book of Exodus tells us this, that God has a story that he wants to invite us into. And he actually comes and he enters into our lives and our stories. And some of you guys feel like God must be ashamed Or afraid to come be part of my story. And in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that God enters our story and He comes to rescue us from the slavery that we add that we that we take on for ourselves. And we believe that Jesus is is at work. Okay? And I want to tell you three things. If you walk away and you're like, what is RUF care about? I want to tell you three things that RUF cares about, okay? This is it, and then we'll be done. And we're gonna eat donuts after this. Number one, we care about what Jesus has said. God didn't just hear and know. He comes and he speaks to his people. And are you? If we do the Bible. We read the Bible in our group. We talk about it. We do the Bible in our small groups. Because we believe that Jesus has something to say to you and to us. How many of you guys check your phone, like, at least 10 minutes, every 10 minutes? It's like your, 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 your phone is your needy girlfriend, by the way. Um, like, you just are like, I have to check in, like maybe somebody has, like maybe someone has liked my Instagram post, and I need to know right now if they commented with like the little smiley face with the hearts in the eyes. And I do the same thing because I'm desperate to know that someone remembers me, that so like I matter enough for someone to come and speak to me and communicate with me. And that's a longing in my heart for God to speak to me. And we believe that God has spoken to us and is where we care about the Bible. So we care about what Jesus said. We care about what Jesus did. Jesus came to rescue his people from slavery. If you read in the Gospels, there's this point where Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, who are like these sort of redneck like friends of his. And, um, but seriously. Um, and he takes them up, and he like sort of shows them kind of that he's God. And he like shines, and it's like blinding everybody, you know, and he's like radiant, and that's amazing. He shows them his glory. And Moses shows up with him. And the gospel writer says that what they're talking about is Jesus' exodus. That the exodus that we're reading about points to a day when Jesus was going to come and set his people free from slavery. Do you long to be free from anger and resentment and fear? Jesus on the cross has come to set you free from those things. And if we care about what Jesus has done, let me ask you this question. How do you deal with success and failure? Like, do you believe that you matter even when you're not succeeding? Like, when you fail, are you like, I can learn from this? Or you're like, literally, I don't know who I am anymore. Jesus comes to allow you to be a failure and to rest in him and let him set you free from being the person that you think you have to be, that your parents think you have to be, that society tells you that you you have to be. Your story is crushing you. And Jesus comes to set you free from that slavery. So we care about what Jesus has done, okay? And lastly, we care about what Jesus is doing. God doesn't set his people free in Israel and then just let them go. He walks with them, as we'll see, day by day. He feeds them, he gives them water, and he brings them into a new land and makes them into a new people. And look, Jesus can do something in your life and change you So that the person that you will become, you would not even recognize them as yourself now. Um, Jesus is committed to bringing you into a life of freedom and of peace and of joy. And he does that for us and to us day by day. And that happens in the midst of a community that is looking to Jesus together. Um, And my, my, my question for you is, do you long to grow and change? Like, do you long for the things that you want to change to different things? As you know, the things I want are killing me, they're enslaving me. Jesus wants to come and day by day, gently take you by the hand and lead you out of those things and change you. We care about what Jesus said, what he did, and what he's doing. And as we walk through the book of Exodus together and see God's amazing rescue, I hope that you will come back and walk through that with us. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you that you have a place for us in your story. um, That you enter in with us. That you're not ashamed of us. Lord, we're in the room tonight. Half of us don't even know what we're doing here. Um, Half of us that say we really trust Jesus. Yes, you give us freedom. Most of the time we just do not live like that. Um, And Lord, we need a new story. We want our hearts to be captivated um, by you because we know that you will give us life. And so, Lord, no matter where we are tonight, no matter where these students are tonight individually, Lord, would you meet them and be kind to them? Let us know that you hear our cry, that you see us, that you remember, and that you know. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.